the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Kirk Elliott, PhD. In an uncertain economy, if you're looking for wealth management solutions and financial advice, go to KirkElliottPhD.com and make an appointment today. Coming up, I'll evaluate the GOP candidates' debate with a specific focus on Vivek Ramaswamy's performance and his ambitions. Debbie joins me for our roundup. We're going to talk about Putin's worldview, anti-Semitism on the college campus, why Trump is not the dictator we need to worry about, and a Netflix special about a bad surgeon. If you're watching on Rumble or listening on Apple, Google, or Spotify, please subscribe to my channel. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Show. voice. The times are crazy. In a time of confusion, division, and lies, we need a brave voice of reason, understanding, and truth. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Podcast. Did you watch the uh, GOP candidates debate uh, last night? Uh, I didn't. I mean, didn't watch the whole thing. What I, what I do sometimes with these sorts of things is I I capture all the significant exchanges by by surfing various sites on social media. So I have a grasp of all the key exchanges and um and but I didn't watch the whole thing. And I'm trying to think to myself: Is it because I know that this is a this is a fait accompli? Trump is ahead. Um, Debbie was telling me actually this morning what sixty six percent. I mean, think about it. One guy's at 66 and everybody else is sharing the other 34 and, uh, and, and no one even has the lion's share of that. So I guess DeSantis has about 15. Uh, Nikki Haley, uh, has a bunch. Uh, they're ahead of Vivek Ramaswamy. I mean, Christie, I'm surprised he's even at one or two. And uh, in fact, that came up during the debate. Vivek was being a little harsh, but I think not unduly harsh. I mean, I would say duly harsh. Basically, says to Christie, like, you know, why don't you have a big, uh, go to a buffet, eat a big all-you-can-eat meal, and then go home and take a nap. Get out of the race. You're wasting everybody's time. And of course, Christie, I mean, it's interesting to ask, like, what is he doing there? What's the point? Even Megan Kelly at one point was like, Christie, you know, People in your own party sort of hate you. So <laughs> what kind of what kind of race are you running with? Most people think you're a disaster. They would never dream of voting for you. And Christie's like, well, sometimes I've got to be there to tell people harsh truths about themselves and so on. But look, I mean, uh, if you're running in a democratic election, telling people harsh truths about themselves is not exactly a winning strategy, right? You're, um, let's even say that the American people are stupid, selfish, uh, confused, morally rotted. Imagine running a campaign. Guys, I'm here. Here's my message to you. You're a stupid, selfish, morally rotted. Now vote for me. <laughs> yeah. So this is a disaster. Uh, perhaps the most talked about exchange was the time when Vivek, uh, challenged Nikki Haley. He says, look, I mean, Vivek was really harsh even on Nikki Haley and Debbie was recoiling a little bit. She's like, well, Republicans shouldn't be quite this harsh on one another and so on. But, you know, I think we're in a strange time when when um, both the country is in a raw state, the Republican Party is in a raw state. So there's a unusual lever, level of candor, but even acrimony. At one point, Vivek holds up a sign saying Nikki Haley is corrupt. Another point, he suggests that she's sending people, she's willing to send Americans to die so she can buy another house. Wow. Um, so, um, yeah, mean for sure, but, but mean doesn't necessarily mean untrue because think Nikki Haley is somebody who was a politician, South Carolina governor, UN ambassador. I mean, earning a politician salary, right? And then suddenly her network rockets to $8 million. Now, how is that possible? Answer, she's on the board of Boeing. 
So she is essentially, because she's a hawk, she is being celebrated by the defense establishment that has a lot of money to make uh, on hawkish policies and hawkish wars. So, you know, now Nikki Haley in her defense could say, well, listen, I happen to be a hawk. I happen to be a, uh, I want a strong defense. And that's my motive. Now, if, if Boeing happens to like me for that reason, uh, that's not why I'm taking this position. I'm not taking the position for the money. Uh, but this is really what I think Vivek is hitting at. He goes, well, you may not be taking it for the money, but the money doesn't hurt, does it? Um, doesn't, isn't money a great persuader? Isn't money something that's going to help you go? Yeah, I think we got to stick it out in Ukraine a little bit longer. After all, you know, I've got another million dollars to make. So Vivek is, is really hitting here. Uh, in the past, when you, you have these Republican debates, they would rarely attack motives in this way. And then, of course, I think Vivek, kind of his knockout punch for the debate, he's like, Nikki Haley wants us to fight in foreign wars, and she can't even name the places we're supposed to be fighting in. Uh, and, and Nikki Haley, I'm not sure if she was just caught by surprise or if she honestly didn't know. I told Debbie this morning, it's a very risky strategy by Vivek because if he says, you can't name these places, and she goes, oh, yes, I can. Boom, boom, boom. Vivek would have immediately, that would have been a counterpunch uh, of a Joe Frazier type of uh, counterpunch that puts the other guy really on his back. So Vivek took a risk, I think, in doing this. But I think Vivek knew that a lot of these people are such political positioners. They spend a lot of time crafting their messages. They don't do something like read a book or read some history, really understand what's going on in Ukraine. They don't have that kind of intellectual depth or curiosity. Uh, in fact, I would venture to say that probably the only guy on that podium who does is Vivek. Um, now, Ron DeSantis, I think, did pretty well um, for the debate and spoke uh, effectively when he was asked. But there's something about him that is not uh, breaking out. I mean, you have, he's been, not only has he been stuck, but in some ways he loses ground. And so after every debate, I see on social media that DeSantis people are like, Ron DeSantis comes through again. Ron DeSantis wins another debate. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, this isn't just a debate. It's an election. So you, the, the debate is a means, uh, to increasing your popularity, strengthening your Republican support. Um, and, uh, and finally, when Debbie and I were talking about, like, what's, what is Vivek uh, trying to accomplish here? Like, what's his goal? What's his ambition? And I said, I think it's twofold. Number one, Vivek, I think, wants, and I think he'd do very well, by the way, a top position in a Trump administration. I think that's the most obvious kind of Vivekian motive. Uh, I will run sort of defense for Trump, and he is doing it. Uh, and so Trump will notice that and go, hey, Vivek would be great on my team. I think the answer, he would be. Uh, but the other is that if for some reason, uh, we can think of reasons, right, that Trump can't run, Trump is immobilized, Trump is not going to be able to do it, then people are going to look down that list and go, well, who is the most Trumpian candidate? All the Trumpsters, the 66% are going to say, who's the guy who's most like Trump on that stage? And I think Vivek is hoping people will say, well, there's only one answer to that question. Hey, at the end of the year, Debbie and I are buying some gold, and you should consider it also. Diversify your savings with physical precious metals while stockpiling silver in your home safe. It's Birch Gold Group's most popular special of the year. Now through December 22nd, for every $5,000 you spend with Birch Gold, they'll send you a one-ounce silver eagle coin for free. Text Dinesh to 989898 to claim your eligibility now. You can purchase gold and silver and have it shipped directly to your home or have Birch Gold's Precious Metal Specialists help you convert an existing IRA of 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold for no money out of pocket. And they'll send you free silver for every $5,000 you purchase. Keep it for yourself or give something with real value as a stocking stuffer this year. Just text the keyword Dinesh to 989898 to claim your eligibility. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, including me, now is the best time to buy gold from Birch Gold. Text Dinesh to 989898. Claim your eligibility for free silver on qualifying purchases before December 22nd. Uh, Debbie and I have been talking about all the stuff in the news, and so she's been weighing in. And there's a lot of topical stuff, so she's like, why don't we do our roundup a day early so we can cover all this stuff that's going on? And um, so here we are for a Thursday rather than a, than a Friday a roundup. 
actually, before we start, what's kind of funny to me is uh, these days after the podcast, you're like, oh, Dinesh, you know, I was, I was hoping that you'd have some time to relax after the all the promotion for the movie and stuff. But instead, <laughs> Danielle and Brandon have put me to work. <laughs> yes, we have a have. political campaign to win. And so, I mean, these things are, well, the primary is March 3rd. So it's a, it's like a three month mad dash to the finish line. And, and it's my, you know, you've done a bunch of campaigns. Mm -hmm. I have it. This Mm -hmm. is like the first one I'm even in. And I swore I would never do another (laughs) because you know how much it's a lot of work. It's it's a lot of work. And, and I wasn't even in charge of the campaigns. I was just helping, just even helping, you know, making phone calls, block walking, um, helping with fundraising, all of those things, you know, are, they're a lot of work. And um, there's a little yeah. bit of a science to it. I've been actually talking to a fellow who runs the pack that's connected with the campaign. And, you know, I was talking to him about something as simple as like billboards. Now, we know something about billboards because we've rented billboards for movies. Mm-hmm. But I was actually impressed. He knows a lot about billboards. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's something you, that's just part of the science of the campaign. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, it is uh, it's it's exciting and it's fun and it's a big step, of course, for those guys. And they're they're just twenty nine and Danielle's twenty eight. So at a very young age, they're jumping in the frame. Well, we need some young and people. The Congress the the age of of Congress is fifty nine. Is that's it? the average the average age? Yeah. So you know that there's some geezers up there. <laughs> oh sure. And you know, but well, we yeah. saw we've seen a couple yeah, of guys who seem to be almost a hundred years old and. Both of us yeah. were like, why is this yeah. guy still in Congress? I mean, you know, here's the thing. I feel, and, and I saw that Brandon had this sign that said that he's going to, that he's for term limits. Yeah, he is. Which is really good because I think that you should not be a career politician. Right. I think it's wrong. I think you should serve your time, serve the people, and then exit and have new blood come in and do the same. Exit, come in. Because what happens is these people get a little too comfortable in their positions. And then they get a little bit of a hothead. They Not get hothead, you mean a big head. A, a big head, yeah. Yeah. And and they get they get very egotistical about their position. I'm a cog Sheila Jackson Lee, okay, as an example. Of course she's a lefty, but I mean but, the good thing know. the good thing about term limits is that it actually <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean you have to get out of politics, but it means you have to move on. So think of it yeah. this way. You, you okay, your your terms are running out as a congressman. You could run for Senate if you want, yeah. run for lieutenant governor, but it's it forces you to be on the move. It doesn't allow you to settle in in the way that you're describing and right. just become a fossil. Right. I mean, like, you know, Nancy Pelosi, even McConnell, you know, on the R side. I mean, these people have got to go, you know, go, go, go enjoy your life with your grandchildren and go have a trip with your spouse. Do something other than. Uh, it just, it, I just can't. Let's talk about the like GOP it. debate. Uh-huh. Um, and yes. I think you, I mean, I was showing you some of this stuff. And, and of course, I enjoy it probably a little more than you do because you were, I think a little part of you doesn't like the sharpness of these exchanges. No, I don't like it. And I don't like, I don't like treating our own side that way because what do you do? You're actually giving ammunition to the left for when they go up against someone because they're going to go up against somebody, right? Right. And so if you're like, oh yeah, you're corrupt, you're this, you're that, then let's say, let's say Nikki Haley would be the nominee. Not that she would be, but let's say she would be. Yeah. Okay. Then all the things that Vivek said about her are now going to be front and center when she's, when she is actually running against a Democrat. Thank you, Vivek. Thank you. You did all the research for them. Well, not to mention the fact that, you know, again, the Republicans need to come together, which would mean that Vivek would be endorsing Haley, and then he'd be asked, well, wait a minute, you're endorsing somebody, and you say... Why didn't you rip her to shreds, and now you're endorsing her? What? You know, so, guys, remember Ronald Reagan? Remember what he said? Thou shall not... Criticize. Not criticize. What did he say, um... I think he was the Alyssa. Yeah, I I think. Yeah. Right. Because Reagan would go in debates. I remember the 1980 debate with, I remember Phil Crane, uh, George H.W. Bush. They were disagreeing, but they weren't. It's one thing to disagree with policy, it's another thing to rip somebody to shreds and de, you know, just humiliate them in front of everybody. Like, like if you ask me, you know, what are the provinces and whatever? I, I wouldn't know. I would be stunned. Well, what you're doing is you're embarrassing me. You're not, you're not doing anything other than that. 
And so what you're doing is you're making me upset. You're making me not like you as a person. <laughs> I mean, Vivek's view of that would be this. He'd be like, you know, the problem is that too much of this corruption is seeped into the Republican Party. So, for example, let's take Biden's, you know, war in the Ukraine. It is a gigantic river of cash, right? And and Vivek's point is there are Republicans who have been relentlessly enabling this. Yeah. Biden couldn't do it on his own. Yeah. You know, so so Ukraine has had a considerable amount of bipartisan support and no one is attacking it, even though the GOP base is, is already out of it. The GOP base is like enough. Not that they're against Ukraine. It's just that they feel like too much is being committed to a war that is, number one, largely unwinnable. Uh, and number two, cause, yeah. very physically remote from our... Uh, interests, yeah. you know, we seem to be taking too much interest in in that side of the world, and we are literally, literally destroying our side of the world, our country, and our neighbor is <laughs> and, and and our hemisphere. No, absolutely. So this is the this is the point. You know, I remember even thinking back to the Reagan years. We would always make a distinction between countries and regions that were seen as vital to our national security interests. Now, the Middle East was more vital then than it is now, in part because we were more dependent upon the Middle oil. Eastern oil. Yeah. But the idea that sort of the United States should commit huge amounts of resources anywhere just because somebody else is on the prowl. This makes absolutely no sense. So I think Vivek is quite right about that. Debbie and I are on a really good health journey, but we still struggle to eat enough fruits, veggies, and fiber, and those are a requirement. Now, lucky for us, we discovered Balance of Nature, and there's no better way to get all your fruits and veggies plus fiber than with Balance of Nature. This is Balance of Nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule, so easy to take, made from fresh whole produce, the produce is powdered after an advanced vacuum cold process, which stabilizes the maximum nutrient content. And this is Balance of Nature's Fiber and Spice, a proprietary blend of fiber and 12 spices for overall and digestive health. Join Debbie and me. Start your journey to better health right now. Call 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com. You get 35% off your first preferred order by using discount code AMERICA. Again, it's balanceofnature.com. I'll call 800-246-8751. Get 35% off your first preferred order by using discount code AMERICA. The left is accusing Trump of being a dictator. <laughs> now, what I find really abusing about this, honey, is that most Republicans, if, 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 if they saw this, right, you're a dictator, would immediately go into absolutely not Biden's the real dictator. Here are all the things he's done, right? Not Trump. Trump is being interviewed by, <laughs> by, uh, by, um, Sean Hannity. And Sean Hannity basically gives them a softball. He basically goes, you know, do you have any plans to abuse your power, to become a dictator, to break the law, to use the government to go after people? And Trump basically goes, <laughs> only on day one. <laughs> So you guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a one day dictator, and uh, well, I have to I have to say I I tell you this all the time, but he is the worst dictator in the history of dictators. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> well, first of all, what dictator loses an election, whether by fraud or any other means? Number two, what dictator doesn't control his own police agencies or government? Yeah, and not just the I, FBI. I, I I love Trump, but I know he doesn't like to lose. Well, I have to say, in this aspect, he did because he he he, 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 he didn't score not, as on the dictator exactly. index. He was not an effective dictator, guys. He didn't do anything that dictated anything. So. And and the weird thing is that by that standard, Biden is a whopping success, right? Because Biden is well, I'm not saying he's in charge of the police state, but he's the face of the police well, state. Let's yeah. look at let's look at Biden's success as a dictator. Censoring ideological opposition. Check. <laughs> FBI raids and political enemies. Check. Check. Prosecuting opposition candidates. Check. Show trials, mass surveillance, endless investigations, uh, violating bodily autonomy, mass propaganda and education in the media. So this oh, is no, the police no, no. state checklist. And let's just say the Biden team is much better at the at the job well, of dictatorship. You know, what, what is really Trump. what is really interesting is I, I used to like think that Obama was a kind of a dictator. He reminded me a lot of Hugo Chavez. I used to say he was he was the American Hugo Chavez, right? 
And because I still believe that he somehow manipulates things now, yeah, uh, it's not surprising to me that that this administration, the Biden administration, is very dictatorial. Yeah, I think with Obama, he it's not that he lacked the impulse. He just lacked the opportunity. In other words, he was more cautious. He realized that dictatorship and 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 police state kind of tyranny yeah. needs the soil needs right, to be right. cultivated. That's why he wanted a third term with Hillary, uh, or a third term going with, on now. Right. We, exactly, we, but he thought he was going to have a third term with Hillary. With Hillary, right? So he thought, it, you know what? I didn't do what I really wanted to do, but it's okay because Hillary's coming in, and we're going to finish the job. Hillary didn't come in, so he didn't finish the job, and then a loss. By I mean, this is in a way very, in a way similar to Reagan on a completely different front, which is to say, you remember that all Reagan's policies over eight years toward the Soviet Union did not achieve their fruition until after Reagan. Yeah, the Berlin Wall oh, fell eighty yeah, nine. Reagan yeah. just you know it finished. Left. Yeah, and then and the collapse of the Soviets ninety one ninety two all under Bush. Yeah. And similarly here, it could be that the real the sort fruits of, of the labor. efflorescence of, of, of American <laughs> That's right. tyranny That's right. comes post-Obama, right. even though Obama's sitting back and going as Reagan could have. In a different context. That like, was mine. I did that. My legacy. Yeah, that's my legacy. <laughs> yeah. And it's recognized to be Reagan's legacy, as I think historians will look back and recognize that this slide toward tyranny is something that Obama has been the author of. Now, with regard to Trump, I, I was actually happy that he said he was, you know, very in a very Trumpian way. He's, he's always being a little bit of a comedian. He's so his, his sense of timing is so good. But as also, I think this is what is freaking the left out. There's also a grain of truth to it. I think what Trump means is that, yeah, on day one, I've got to come in and fire a lot of people, clear out a lot of underbrush. I've got to sort of vacuum the place. Do you think that's even possible? You think he can do it? I think he can do it. I think the way you, there are ways to do it. And, and I hope that Trump is exploring the actual mechanics of how to do it. Because for example, to, he needs to call you. So oh, if he needs could, to call me, so uh, I, I would I would supply him with a five-page, so blue, single-space <laughs> blueprint of how to do it. And it's a little subtle. You know, it's not just a matter of you fire people. See, you can't fire some of the people who are career bureaucrats. Now, Vivek has a way to fire them, but even that takes time. So what you have to do is torment Vivek, them. Vivek can just torment them and attack them personally. <laughs> but what's that Vivek can lecture all these guys and abuse them and talk about their families and their... <laughs> and their weight problems. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Vivek goes, listen, I've got, a, I've got Chick-fil-A outside. Yeah, I, I would have said, I would have said, Christy, Chris, Christy, I really like you and I respect you as a person and I want you to live a long time. But as a heavy man, you are actually a heart attack away from from leaving us, right? Because he's he he looks unhealthy. Maybe Vivek could have so, had a PhD weight loss. I was going <laughs> to say I will I will buy a, a membership to PhD weight loss so that you too can achieve your goal weight like we have, <laughs> you know, and then just be nice about it, right? Yeah, you know? that more of a little more oh. of a traditional Republican than yeah. I am. <laughs> Christmas is coming up, and if you've got some aches and pains, I can't think of a gift that's better to give yourself than feeling good again. It might be better than even getting a new car. Now, here's an idea. It's Relief Factor. It's the gift that helps people relieve pain and feel good once again. Relief Factor is a daily supplement. It helps your body fight back against pain. It's 100% drug-free. Relief Factor was developed by doctors searching for a better alternative for pain. Relief Factor uses a unique formula of natural ingredients like turmeric, and omega-3s to help reduce or eliminate the everyday aches and pains you are experiencing. Whether it's neck, back, joint, or muscle pain, Relief Factor can help you feel better. Unlike pills that simply mask your pain for a short time, Relief Factor helps support your body's natural response to inflammation so you feel better all day, every day. See how Relief Factor can help you with their three-week Quick Start Kit. It's only $19.95, and it comes with Relief Factor's Feel Better or Your Money Back Guarantee. So... What do you have to lose? Visit relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF. Again, the number 800-4-RELIEF or go to relieffactor.com. When you feel the difference, you know it works. Usually, um, Debbie and I are, well, I won't say we agree on all issues. We Well, we agree on most. 
And we do have, as I mentioned at the end of the last segment, a slightly different temperament, particularly in, in how to respond to the landscape of politics now. Uh, Debbie's response, I think, is, is very traditional. It tends to be the way Republicans, um, you know, naturally, uh, uh, are oriented to responding in a certain way. Uh, I think I have, and maybe this is a result of my Obama uh, case. Um, yeah, street cred. <laughs> I, well, not street cred. It's just that I, I have a little bit more of a, I'm now dealing with a bunch of gangsters approach. And so traditional remedies don't really work or don't work as well as they used to. One issue that we might disagree on pretty fundamentally, and it's pretty funny because, because as we got, we're setting up to do this segment, uh, Brian here in the studio supplied me with equipment. Here are our boxing gloves. So if things get out of hand, we may have to put these on in the course of the, of this segment. I don't think it's going to happen, but, yeah, uh, okay. just in case it does. Yeah. And, uh, not, this? not to mention in this, look? in this trans, uh, era, the idea of men and women boxing each other is, mm-hmm. is actually becoming a little more mainstream. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. we'll see how it goes. Anyway. Um, yeah. Um, so right. Let's talk about oh, mm-hmm. about this business about the three the three presidents of Harvard, MIT, and Penn. Oh, and um, and your point is that the fact that they were trying to defend um, people calling for genocide against Jews, uh, and they were doing it amazingly, invoking free expression. Oh, we were committed to free expression of ideas. Ha ha ha! No, I uh, I think that is where I draw the line. The, the the Jews have been persecuted for so long, so long. The only group of people that has ever had six million of its own people killed because of who they are. So I think that I'm sorry, but so you're saying I, that there's a that 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 sets an outer limit. That's an outer limit to me, and and I would love to send those three. Uh, uh, presidents. presidents of those of those schools, all the videos, all of the audios, all of the photographs that I have in my possession of the massacre that happened in October seventh, and I guarantee you, I don't think they'll be able to sleep at night if I do that. Well, okay, let me let me play devil's advocate here a little bit, just because the reason I'm doing this is because um, with free speech issues, we we're not talking about things that we agree with. Remember, you know, under free speech. If you're going to have free speech and you're committed to free speech, at least political free speech, let's not worry about nude dancing or no, anything I like that. I don't call that political free speech. Well, you, you, you can't, you cannot decide something is not free speech just by claiming it's extreme or you don't agree with it or it is inflammatory because, because free why, speech why, means. Why does free speech stop when people say fire? Why is that? Only because only because the free speech in that case produces immediate and imminent physical danger. Okay, don't you think this is producing that for these Jewish students that are in these schools? Don't you think that they are scared for their lives because these other people are out of control and they're acting like terrorists? I don't think that these activists on campus are themselves terrorists. And I don't think that the, even the Jewish students who say things like I had to, you know, there's a big inflammatory protest. So I had to, I had to take refuge in my dorm. Now, look, don't get me wrong. Colleges need to protect the, in the, oh, it's a learning environment, right? And, and the idea of Jewish students cowering in their dorms is unacceptable, but I'm saying it's unacceptable on the level of conduct. This is actually not directly related to speech. And here's what I mean. You were saying about the, the six million Jews. And I agree. There's no single event I can think of that compares to that. But mm-hmm. let's just say for argument, I would say to you, the, the Hitler regime lasted for basically six years, right? It started in 1939. Uh, well, 1933 is when Hitler was elected, but mm-hmm. 1939 was the beginning of mm-hmm. World War II. So the escalation to the final solution was basically in the period of the war. Now let's compare this, let's say to American slavery, which lasted really from almost the beginning of the country uh, to the 1860s. So you're talking about a duration of 150 years. Mm-hmm. Now, if I were to add up all the suffering in that period of time and compare it to the Jews, I would say I'm hard-pressed to say one was worse. Well, okay, but the Jews have been persecuted for centuries. Centuries. You were in, when we were in Israel and and we were in that, that's, 
road, uh, pilgrimage road, right? We saw the ashes, the ashes of the Romans burning the Jews. We saw that. We right. felt we, we were able to touch the ash. It was still there. How many years ago was that? So, so are you saying, are you saying that there is a, a pyramid of suffering, right? Yeah. And, and that basically the Jews are maybe at the top or maybe the blacks are next. And what you're, I think what you're saying is we are going to allow free speech up to a point. Well, I've never, I've never been for, for mocking gays or, or blacks or anybody else. I, I'm not that way. So I don't agree. You say that it's free speech to do that. Yeah. I don't believe it is. I, that's where we differ. That's so you're, we differ. well, uh, on a campus, let's just take an example. Yeah, let's just, let's just say somebody, yeah. th- let's just somebody actually takes a bullhorn yeah. on the campus and says, homosexuality is a I thick, would, I would perverted. Take that, I would take that bullhorn away from them and knock them in the head. Why? Because that's mean. So? Well, I just, I, I mean, it may be mean, see, but it's I'm not, not a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite because I don't think it's good to do it to any group of people, but I especially feel like the Jews have been persecuted for so long that they should be in their own special class. I do believe that. Yeah, let's pick it up when we come back. Mike Lindell just keeps on introducing great deals. He's featuring the all-new My Towels. Save 50% on the six-piece towel set, regular price $59.96, but now for a limited time only, Twenty nine ninety eight with promo code Dinesh. Debbie and I have a bunch of Mike's towels all over the house. We love them for ourselves. We also like to give them as Christmas presents. Very practical. Something for you to consider. My Towel 6-Piece Set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, two washcloths. The towels are really amazing. The long staple length of the Sherpa cotton fibers makes them very soft because of the long fibers. They can wrap around each other more easily, creating a smoother and softer fabric soft to the touch but without the lotiony feel and also super absorbent so take advantage of the 50% off on the six piece towel set call 800-876-0227 or go to mypillow.com again the number to call 800-876-0227 or mypillow.com don't forget to use the promo code it's d i n e s h dinesh i think what's emerging from this conversation between Debbie and me here is that we're actually both taking a consistent position, but we're taking a consistent position with a little more latitude or a little less latitude. So your view is, look, because a campus is a learning environment, there should be certain limits. Um, yes, you can argue about the history, you can argue about politics, but if you create an environment where people feel an degraded... hate, an, an environment of hate... Right. No place... That that does not belong on a campus. Now, my view is the opposite, (laughs) which is that. uh, I mean, okay. Remember when you spoke at at uh, Michigan State, and that that kid was yelling at you, "Get out of here! Get the f out of here!" And then he told me to get out, get the f out of this country as well. Right, but 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 hold on. See, see. Interestingly, you think he was he was taking my position, but I think he's taking your position. Here's why: because he would say. That my views are so hateful, right? That they sh- they do not belong on the campus, and therefore he is acting like the enforcement. But I don't believe in the enforcement, though. I don't believe in in. It. I just think that there should be nobody allowed to do that, whether it's him telling you that or you telling him that. Right, but the so, problem is right. So obviously, I wasn't saying anything. I mean, I was basically. Yeah, well, you. <laughs> no, no, I know. I know. But what we're getting at, honey. I lost my cool. Imagine that. What I'm trying to say is that the campus should have more free speech than even the surrounding society. Yeah, yeah but you know Because what? that's yeah. what a campus is. Yeah. And not to mention, honey, you're talking about people who are, not, who are 18 to 22. If yeah. you cannot be bombastic, over the top, outspoken, let's just say crude, let's just say mean. If you can't do it then and test out ideas, however outrageous... You know, I think people on the campus should be able to say pretty much anything. Now, I would enforce that across the board. Now, look, I'm not talking about directed hatred, but I'm talking about someone taking a position. I know, but see, I believe that this anti-Semitism on college campuses is direct hatred. And it's also because of what happened on October 7th. If they're siding with Hamas, now, the atrocities committed by Hamas are 
off the charts. I mean, we're talking women whose pelvises were broken because of rape, their legs broken because of rape. They shot women's genitalia. They stabbed women's genitalia. I mean, there are so many things that I could tell you that they did to these women. My mind goes there. And so when these kids are, you know, antifada, I'm like, shut up. It's ridiculous. Right. You know, these. Well, and, and it's doubly ridiculous because these same kids are like, this guy didn't use my pronouns. He needs to be signed. You know, so in other words, these kids are little tyrants. Yeah. Right. So the, I think on that, we're in agreement 100%. I think where we're disagreeing is this. I mean, and, and I'll take, give an example uh, to, I think, highlight. Let's say somebody, for example, takes the view and uh, writes a paper or even gives a lecture on campus basically saying, I've read Mein Kampf and I think Hitler had a lot of good ideas. I'm not saying that the Holocaust is defensible, but I think that, and I'm taking an extreme example because you, the only way to defend free speech is at the extreme. Remember a generation ago, the ACLU of all groups defended the right of the Nazis to march in Skokie, Illinois, a Jewish neighborhood, Right. But the Nazis were marching peacefully. They were marching in a Jewish... Now, it's very inflammatory because obviously think of Jews. There are people there. Their parents are Holocaust survivors. No, it's it's horrible. Yeah. So you wouldn't allow that and I would. I think that's really what we're... That's our area of difference. And you you know what I want to do to the Hamas terrorists, right? So there you go. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Dummy thinks that capital punishment is not enough. No. Um, Oh, no. Yeah. Let's talk about... They have a special place in hell. Mm Mm-hmm. Not not the virgin, you know, paradise. Not the 72 they, virgins. No, not the paradise they think they're going to. They're actually going straight to hell. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about Vladimir Putin because, um, and we'll we'll continue perhaps in the next segment. You were, we were talking about the fact that when people think about left and right, he's on the left, he's on the right. With a lot of times, it's very easy to say Maduro's on the left. Very obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, Javier Millet is on the right, right in the libertarian sense. Mm-hmm. How do you classify Putin? I know. He's, it's hard I to say. I don't think he can be classified. I'm not sure he can. Yeah, it is it is hard to say because, well, it, it depends. If you look at left-right as, as an, on the one hand, state control, that's mm-hmm. the left, mm-hmm. and then an expansion of individual liberty and the, and the private sphere as being on the right. Capitalist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Putin is Putin is kind of in a strange position. I think he supports a certain type of gangster capitalism. Uh, he also, he, it's like a, the, the Soviet Union is run like a mafia. Um, now, America's run like a mafia, well, but in a Biden different way. Uh-huh. Yeah, but the Biden family is more ideological than Putin. Yeah. They're, the Biden family is left. Yeah. Uh, and they. Now, and, do you know how Putin feels about climate change and all of those things? Is he left on that issue or right? Well, part of the problem here is that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of the problem here is that, you know, for a while there, Russia was playing along, just like India and China do. India and mm-hmm. China go to these climate conferences. Like, the climate is in real danger. But then you notice that they're building coal plants. They, they have, they actually don't believe a word of it, mm-hmm. but they're putting on a little bit of a performance a of a yeah. show. Yeah. Uh, just because they're, they just don't want to be, you know, mm-hmm. So, so I think Russia is the same, but mm-hmm. think of it. Putin has come out in defense of the kind of traditional family values. Now, again, that could be a stance. That could be a, uh, a ruse. Uh, but, uh, in that sense, he seems conservative. Uh, but on the other hand, think of it. He's allied with China. He's allied with Iran. Iran. He doesn't hesitate to ally with these. Right, right. And he's, and again, you know, he, he's, he's a tyrant. He's, he's a, a tyrant, tyrant, but he's also a, he's a tyrant that that poses as a defender of Western values. He's defend, he's a, he's almost like saying I'm the last guy upholding Western values in the West. The West itself has become morally corrupt and depraved, and so I'm standing up for the Western values in the sense of a previous generation. Yeah, interesting. People sometimes ask me, "Hey Dinesh, how can I support your work?" Well, here's an easy way. Join my Locals channel, become an annual subscriber, and if you do, you get the new film, Police State, for free. It's included with your subscription. I post a lot of exclusive content on Locals, including content that's censored on other social media platforms. On Locals, you get Dinesh Unchained, Dinesh Uncensored. You can also interact with me directly. I do a live weekly Q&A every Tuesday. 
No topic is off limits. I've also uploaded some cool films to locals, documentaries, feature films, mine, but also films by other independent producers. 2000 Mules is up there. And I mentioned the new film Police State included with your annual subscription. So check out my channel. It's Dinesh.locals.com. I'd love to have you along for this great ride again. It's Dinesh.locals.com. Devin, I watched the Netflix um, special. It's three episodes. Uh, we, well, I guess we sort of binge watched it. We watched. We watched one episode and then we watched two. Right. The next day. Right. Yeah. And it's it's called Bad Surgeon. Uh, in my view, a poor title, but but it does describe what the what the series is about. This sort of celebrity Italian doctor named uh, Macchiarini, Paolo Macchiarini. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about his sort of diabolical medical schemes, but evidently this guy was a little bit of a Casanova. And um, it's about him developing a romance with an NBC, a former NBC producer named Benita Alexander. And so he, in in one way, cons his his uh well she ended up being his fiance he cons his fiance oh that was that was funny I, that was the most interesting thing to me of the whole thing was how he almost pulled it off it was hilarious well now there you know there are these there are these shameless sort of seducers and what they do is they they hold on to women often more than one by promising to marry them right what i find amazing is in this case not only did he promise to marry her not only did he claim that they were going to be married by the Pope, but they sent out 300 ornate, exquisite invitations to yeah. people to come yeah. to the wedding, a wedding that was sort of never meant to be. Never meant to be. I mean, they never, they never made any arrangement. He was supposed to be planning the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, so, very, very. I mean, I chalked that up as he was just nuts, you know, just nuts. Because it's just pathological, pathological. behavior. It's, uh, it's nuts. And then, you know, he was doing the synthetic trachea. You know, and yeah. that, that was what he. So explain was, what that is. So that is the 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 trachea. Some people get cancer. Other people get a degenerative disease, and they can't swallow things like that. So he actually. So that's this gullet yes, right, right here. here. This is right yeah going down. Right. It kind of goes into two two. You know, it it it's the 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 breathing mechanism and help. It's the airway, right? And so what he did is he took like a PVC pipe. I mean, you know, for lack a of a plastic, word, pipe, plastic yeah. pipe. And he said that he was doing um, the cells, the uh, what stem, cells. Called, stem cells, that the stem cells were going to wrap around this plastic and that he was going to put it into the patient and they were going to have a new trachea and they were going to be cured, right? And so he did tell all the patients that this was experimental, but uh, but that he was very confident that it would work. And it turns out it killed every single one of the patients he put it in. Well, in one case, it didn't. But that guy took, no, took it out. No, they had to take it out. Yeah. Yeah. No, it almost killed him. Um, now, so very, very scary. And, and, and the thing about it is the whistleblowers, the other surgeons, said that he missed a lot of data. So in other words, instead of instead of doing animal studies... He went straight to human studies, and that was where the criminality came in. Right. The medical, the procedure is you do it in rats. Uh, you try it for a long period of time. If it works in rats, you do it in like pigs or some other larger animal. And then uh, you move to human uh, trials. But he, but he didn't do that. Um, and, and that was amazing, too, because think about it. This was a guy hired by one of Europe's most prestigious hospitals, so given his one? given his own division, what was the Karolinska, Karolinska, given his own division with lots of doctors under him, the media was in his back pocket. So we have, you know, we, when we think about who he conned, we think obviously of Benita Alexander, the fiance, the yeah. other Italian woman he was romancing oh, at yeah. the same time. She was the she was the mother of one of his victims. Right. Yeah. There, that itself was that was a that had weird. echoes of like oh, Richard the yeah. Third and Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. You know where. And then he had a wife that he married in 1987, and he had two children with her. So so presumably he conned her, or maybe, but most importantly, he conned the media because the reason this guy became a celebrity surgeon is all these articles and all these shows, you know, the shows, including American shows, with recognizable American hosts. So this guy's, uh, the, you know, doing all these breakthroughs. It really shows that even though uh, media outlets have medical journalists, they don't know anything. 
They are not in a position. Not one of them thought of asking, okay, you're doing these procedures on humans. Show me the studies that you've done. Show and the add. They, they, they don't need They're too lazy and they're too dumb. Yeah. To, yeah. And he was very charming, though. He was I think charming. That was part of the whole thing was that he was very, not only was he manipulative, but he was charming. And uh, I don't think he was handsome, but you know. But I mean, think of it. Is it is it that easy? Where if you're a medical doctor, and this guy was a surgeon. My point is, this is not a case. This is not yeah, like not. this is not like DiCaprio <laughs> in that movie where he pretends Can't to be a can. yeah, pretends to yeah. be a pilot. He's not a pilot. This guy yeah, was a yeah. surgeon. But the idea that you can go to one of the most prestigious medical institutes in the world, yeah, and what? Because you're good looking and charming. They're like, okay, you can be the head of a medical division. Well, you know, he did serve two and a half years. He did. Ultimately, ultimately, he did pay. I wouldn't say a full price, but Not maybe, a full price. but some price yeah. for his misdeeds. Although, interestingly, and this is we're looking at an article in USA Today, which is a kind of uh, response to the series. He's still a doctor. And his license has not that. been taken away. Uh, I don't think he's allowed to do this procedure, at least not in certain places. But again, he could conceivably do it in other places. Yikes. In concluding his chapter on sentencing and show trials, Solzhenitsyn um, concludes with a specific case of a guy named Pavel Chulpenyev. Now, this is during World War II, 1941. And uh, Solzhenitsyn tells us that the military medical assistant, a guy named Lozovsky, brought this fellow, Pavel Chulpenyev, on charges, mainly because he was jealous of him. He thought, let me figure out a way to get this guy. And so what he did was, he um, addressed three questions to this lieutenant, Pavel Chopinyov, and he recorded his answers. So here are the questions and the answers. The first one was, why, in your opinion, are we retreating from the Germans? This is 1941. Remember, the Germans are doing this massive blitzkrieg attack. Chopinyov replies, they have more equipment and they were mobilized earlier. So an excellent reason. We're retreating because we're not prepared. Our forces are outnumbered. They're being overwhelmed. That's why they're retreating. Question number two. Um, do you believe the Allies will help? Help us, meaning Russia. Phil Penny of replies, I believe they will help, but not from unselfish motives. In other words, the Allies will help us, but they're looking out to their own interests. Again, a correct answer, because obviously the United States and Great Britain aren't going to get in the war because they care about Russia per se. They realize that their enemy is the Germans, if they can kind of ally with Russia to defeat the Germans. So, again, an accurate answer. And the third question is actually not important. So, Chopinium answered, Solzhenitsyn tells us, and forgot about this. But Lozovsky wrote a denunciation. So he writes a kind of complaint, a denunciation. Very often, a an arrest is preceded by some kind of informant, some kind of denunciation. And Chopinyev is summoned before the political branch uh, and then expelled from the Communist Party, from the com, uh, Komsomol. Uh, why? Because they say he has a defeatist attitude, <laughs> that he's praising German equipment. And also because he's belittling the strategy of the Soviet high command. So think of the ridiculousness of this. Uh, Chulpeniev is just giving accurate answers. He supports the Soviet high command. But nevertheless, Chulpeniev's arrest followed. He had one confrontation uh, with Losovsky. The previous conversation was not even brought up by the interrogator. One question was asked, do you know this man? Yes. Witness, you may leave. So in other words, all they're trying to do is confirm that the two men are acquainted, that this guy, um, this guy, uh, Lozovsky isn't making the whole thing up. So all it is, do you know this guy? Yeah, you do? Okay, good. Go. Uh, in other words, they are taking at face value the charges made by this guy, Lozovsky. Chulpenium now appears before a military tribunal of the 36th Motorized Division, uh, and this is Solzhenitsyn's great grasp of detail, part of what makes the the Gulag such a compelling document. It's not just there was a meeting. I heard about a meeting. Present were Lebedev, the division um, a political commissar, and Slezarev, the chief of political branch. So Solzhenitsyn, he wasn't there. 
but his in- information is so good that he knows, yeah, this is the next trial. It was this particular command. These two guys were present. The witness, Lazovsky, was not even summoned to testify. Uh, however, after the trial, to document the false testimony, they got Lazovsky's signature. The questions the tribunal asked. Again, Solzhenitsyn is really in the know. He knows not only who was there, he knows what was asked. Did you have a conversation with Lazovsky? What did he ask you about? What were your answers? And uh, this poor guy, Cholpenyev, he tells them. He says, this is what he asked me. This is what I said. Solzhenitsyn says, um, he still couldn't understand what he was guilty of. After all, he says, many people talk like that. He's telling the truth. This is the kind of obvious fact of the matter. He's like, many people have this opinion. It's not just uniquely me. Um, and uh, he says, many people think like this. And the tribunal was like, who who thinks like this? Give us all their names. Well, he obviously can't give all their names. He's simply saying that his opinion is a common perception. The Soviets are better prepared. They have better equipment. That's why they're advancing and we're retreating. And finally, um, Cholpenyev realizes he's doomed anyway. So he begs the tribunal. He goes, listen, I'm a patriot. And to prove my patriotism, will you send me to the front so I can sort of die like a man? I don't want to die like a traitor. I want to die like a man. And the tribunal is like, no. And um, and here is Solzhenitsyn. He says, this guy, like a simple-hearted warrior of old, was asking for an honorable death. I mean, think of, you know, Brutus running uh, on his sword. Think of uh, Roman soldiers who committed suicide. Uh, this is the tradition that Solzhenitsyn is evoking. But he goes, the, the communists are such low-down creatures that they won't permit you this even. So he goes, oh, no. Our job is to kill off all those chivalrous sentiments in the people. And so any semblance of virtue, even from this guy who really did nothing, he was in every way loyal to Russia. He was part of the army. He was asked some questions by a guy jealous of him. He was charged. So this is the, this is the way a police state works. Uh, there's no justice. Once again, there's the, sort of simulacrum. There's a kind of an outward semblance of a trial. Oh, we have a hearing. We have people present. Witness uh, appears. But it's all a sham. None of it means anything. Uh, This poor fellow uh, is targeted and doomed from the outset. Subscribe to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Or watch on Rumble, YouTube, and SalemNow.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com